Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, this will be our last uh, message going through this great New Testament letter of Paul writing to the church at Philippi from his prison in Rome. Today we're going to look at the secret of contentment, and I was thinking back on the last 11 months. Let me just share with you how the last 11 months have gone for me. We have a newly remodeled house with almost all new furniture. I have a brand new vehicle that I'm driving now. I have new friends that I've made from all over the country who've come to Rockport. I have a new sense of community with my neighborhood as the walls and fences came down and we got to know one another better. There's, I've experienced a, a spirit of openness and receptivity with the people that I interact with. Personally, my wife and I have been able to go on several retreats over the last 11 months just to, to get away and recharge. There have been some significant spiritual decisions that I have made personally in the last 11 months. It has been good, but that's just one part of the story. There's more. Our home was destroyed. We weren't able to live in it for nine months. We lost almost all our furniture. We lost precious photos and Family heirlooms were destroyed. My favorite truck that I'd ever had in the whole world was totaled by the storm. My wife and I have worked and sweated and toiled harder than we have our whole life during this few months. We've lost sleep. We've had trouble getting out of bed to face the day. We fought with insurance adjusters, and we continue to grieve the way our community has changed. Two different perspectives on the last 11 months, right? The same life, the same experiences, yet one chooses to look at the good to be content, and the other chooses to look at the negative. Are you, which one are you? I guess I need to ask. Are you the half full or half empty cup kind of person? Well, Paul talks about the secret of contentment. I know that's a pretty bold statement for a sermon title, but Paul uses it in this passage. So if you would look with me at verse 10 in chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember, we've seen that that means I am able to do all these things, the, the contentment through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit or the reward that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance 
I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Remember, we talked about how the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus with that gift for Paul in prison. Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 21, he goes on to say, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those from Caesar's household. Paul had led some of the folks in Caesar's own household to Christ while he was there in Rome. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We rightly looked at part of this passage earlier as we looked at preparing for our church budget, and we talked about the giving aspect of it. But today, I want to take this same passage and look at how Paul addresses the secret of contentment. I love the saying I, I read recently, two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. What are you looking at? Where's your focus? Where's your eye? Let's look at what Paul has to say by application for us today. Number one, we can be content. Followers of Christ, we can be content because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The first reason for contentment is this relationship that we've been given because we've been singing about it and talking about it all morning already that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with our heavenly father. Again, verse 13, I am able to do all these things through him who strengthens me. I love the way Kenneth Weiss translates this passage, this verse 13. If you look at verse 13 again with me. I am strong for the things in the one who constantly infuses strength in me. So that's from the original language. Weiss translates it that way. I get strength from the one who constantly infuses strength in me. Paul says, my strength as a follower of Christ is directly related to my relationship with God. He talks about, Jesus spoke about this in John, about being the, the vine and the branches, how important that was to be in connection, in relationship with God. That, that, that word infused there that, that he translates means to pour or, or to soak. I have the picture of a, a tea bag that you put in a, a cup of hot water, and the longer that tea bag sits in that water, what happens? The more that water becomes a good, strong cup of tea. The water is infused with the, the tea, and this is an incredible statement. If you take that from the original language here, that relationship that enables us to be strengthened, it, it, we're infused with the relationship because of our relationship with God. It's, it's the thought of being steeped in that relationship. You know, you steep the tea bag, you steep the tea. We're steeped in the word of God. I love that. Listen, we're not to be content in a, in a location or a destination, but ultimately in our salvation. That relationship with God is where we find our contentment. I love what someone said. Contentment is not a place, but it's a person. That's where we have to start. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you will never be truly content until you trust him and you know him. It's a, it's a hard issue to be discontent, to look at the, the negative and, and never be content with what God has for you. It's a, it's a heart issue. It's a heart problem. And Jesus is the solution to the heart problem. For us, to, we celebrate the fact that because of Christ, we're able to go to heaven. But the real issue is because of Christ, our sins have been forgiven so that we're able to go to heaven. Did He dealt with the heart, the, the seed of our emotions, who we are. Listen, number one, we can be content because of our relationship we have with God. If you're an unbeliever, here's what you need to do to be content. Trust Christ as your personal Savior. Just trust him. Like Zane did at children's camp. Like we watched these other kids over the last few weeks publicly profess the commitment that they made to trust Christ as Savior. Do that. 
Trust him. It's, I, I love that phrase to refer to, to a, a born-again experience with Jesus Christ. Trust. That means placing your total, complete, everything faith in him. So if you're not a, a follower of Christ, trust him. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer, if you know him, stay focused in that relationship with him. Be steeped in him. I remember when I was in high school, that summer that I took driver's ed, I don't know if they still do that anymore, but we took a big chunk of the summer, went down to the high school and, and drove around in a car, sat in classes with these monitors and this, all this high-tech equipment in the 70s to teach us how to drive. And when we got out on the road, I remember the instructor telling us that there are a couple of things you need to remember because people were looking at the hood of the car. He said, no, you need to look way down the road. He said, you need to look at your mirrors too. So people drive down the road like this. So he can't, he'd have to stop and say, here's what you do. You gaze down the road, glance at your mirrors. That's what you do. You gaze where you're going, you glance at the mirrors. It's, it's, it's a disaster if you do it the other way, right? It is. Some of you know that by experience. Gaze where you're going, glance at the, glance at the mirrors. Here, here's here's a, good, a good way to understand this focus on the relationship. You keep your gaze on God and glance at your circumstances. That's one of the secrets to contentment here. Paul is saying be steeped in that. Focus on what God is doing. Focus on his work in your life, and the circumstances will become less impactful, less important in your life. Look at the good side. Look at what God's doing. I love the story about the pilot. He got on the intercom, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is is that all of our navigation and radio equipment is out. It doesn't work. The good news is we've got a tailwind, and we're going to make really good time wherever we're going. Focus on what God's doing. Focus on the, the good purposes, your relationship with him. Secondly, we can be content because of the reinforcements God has placed around us. Paul says, first of all, I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm infused with his strength. That's how I'm able to be content. Secondly, he's saying to us, there are reinforcements that God has placed around me. Look at verse 14. Paul says, still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. He's saying, I'm not looking for more gifts in verse 17. I want you to increase. He says, but I've received everything, verse 18, in full, I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied in what you provided. Paul focuses on the people who've been placed around him. Remember we said that he has this incredible relationship with the church at Philippi. He feels a special bond with them because they shared. There's a partnership that they have. They, they reinforce his faith. They reinforce his contentment. Look at verse 21. He mentions, says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. Paul has a relationship with people. He's led to Christ there in Rome. And he says, they're sending greetings to you at Philippi. They're encouraging him there. All the saints greet you, especially those from Caesar's household. Paul says, I was surrounded by your love and encouragement and support at Philippi. And now that I'm in prison at Rome, I'm surrounded by believers at Rome who are encouraging me. I'm encouraged by the reinforcements you sent, like when you sent Epaphroditus. God places people in your life to reinforce your faith. Several years ago, well, it's more than several years ago, Kelly and I were thinking yesterday, it was 2003 that I finished my, my uh, doctor of ministry work. And one of the first things we had to do to, to get into that program were to, to write our life history. Just that, that'll challenge you. Write your life history. 
And I was 40-something years old then, 50-something. I don't remember how old I was anyway. Um, and so I sat down and started to write my life history. So they give you some bullet points to, to help you. They, like they, they ask, where were you born? Tell us about your family. Uh, tell us about your parents, your siblings, and you're writing all that stuff. And then, then they, the, one of them was, tell about the people who have impacted your life spiritually. And I just stepped back and I thought, wow, let me think for a minute. And as I wrote that life history, God, God just did a work in my heart showing me people that he had placed in my life that I hadn't been thinking about who had an incredible influence on me spiritually for me coming to Christ and for me to, to grow in relationship with him. But there's a good exercise for you. Stop and just say, okay, God, I'm going to get a, a blank sheet of paper, and I'm going to write down all the people, all the reinforcements that you've put in my life that have enabled me to walk in obedience with you. So who's God put in your life? Who's impacted you? Who's influ influenced you? Thank God for them. He's putting reinforcements in your life. Paul is able to say, I know the secret of contentment. It's in this, this infused relationship I have with God through Christ. And it's these reinforcements that God has put around me. But then, number three, we can be content in the role that God has assigned to us. We can be content in the role that God has assigned to us. I want to go back and look at verse 10 through 12 again. Verses 10 through 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how Paul could make these kind of statements. I know what it is to have a little and to have a lot. He mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 4 and 5 is, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardship, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Sounds a little bit like the last 11 months with Harvey, doesn't it? Paul says, I've been through all of this. He was content, content with his place. So part of our role that God has assigned us, he's put us in a place. So number one, be, or letter A, be content with your place. Paul was. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul gives this description of his, his life in detail that he alluded to in, in that passage I just read. Are they all servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm, I'm a better one. For more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings near death. He says in verse 24, 50 times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. And you think you've got a rough life. The person who shared that testimony with the church at Corinth 
Just, he got out a sheet of paper and began to, to list the things that he'd gone through. He's the same one who wrote in Philippians, I've learned to be content in any circumstance, in my place, wherever I am. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. Lawrence Shamey said this, we live for more, for our next raise, for our next house, and the things we already have, however wonderful they are, tend to pale in comparison with the things that we might still get. No matter how good we've got it, it's this sense that there's something better on the horizon. I remember my very first week when we moved to Rockport 24 years ago, and I can't remember anybody, what's the name of the grocery store that's where the courthouse is? Now it was a grocery store. David's, yes, thank you. David's grocery store. And I went in there, and man, I was so excited to live in Rockport, a pastor in Coastal Oaks Church. And man, I was just, this was just the, the neatest thing that ever happened. I was so excited. And I, I'm checking out there, and the young teenager that's bagging up my groceries, man, he was just. And I said something about living in Rockport. He said, man, I can hardly wait to get out of this stupid town. I'm thinking, gee, talk about a downer. I'm, I'm standing in the same town this kid is standing in, and I can't get enough of the fact that God has put me here. Wow, this is great. And right across the little counter there, this teenager is thinking, I hate it here, I hate it here. Be content with your place. Paul's place was varied. It was difficult. Listen, God wants us to be content in our circumstances, not when they change. Are you one of those folks? I've been there. God, I'm, I'm kind of content now, but I'd really be content if you just put this together for me. Just make that work out in my life. See, contentment doesn't change with circumstance. It changes with attitude. John D. Rockefeller, the multimillionaire, was asked, what else do you want in life? Okay, this is a multimillionaire. What else do you want in life? You know what his answer was? Just a little more. Just a little more. And he got just a little more. You know what the answer to the question again was? Just a little more. It never ends. There's a cartoon with two donkeys. There's a barbed wire fence separating these two pastures. And the donkey on this side of the pasture is pushing through the barbed wire, eating the grass over there. And the donkey on this side of the pasture, you know what he's doing? He's pushing through the barbed wire. He's eating grass on that side. Both of them in the pasture with grass, and they're trying to get to the other's pasture to eat the grass. That just describes us sometimes. God, it's okay here, but it would be better over there. Be content in our place. Fill in the blank, if only, what would you put in there? If only I had another job, if only I wasn't married to this person, if only I lived in another town, if only I had different coworkers, if only our church was better, if only Hurricane Harvey hadn't come, if only we could go back to the glory days, if only I didn't have a health problem, if only, if only. how would you fill in the blank? If you fill in the blank with anything, you're saying, I'm waiting for God to change my circumstances before I'm going to be content. It will not work. Be content in your place. Next, I believe Paul would say this. He was content with his possessions. Be content with our possessions. He was content with what he had. Even as he begins in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 to, to thank God and the church at Philippi for what they brought him, he wants to remind them, it's not that I need anything else. I'm not bringing this up so you guys will send me more. I want God to encourage you and reward you for what you've sent me. He's saying, I'm, I'm okay with what I've got. I'm content with this. He says, I've, I've, I have everything. In verse 18, I have an abundance. He was content with his possessions. 
What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19? Collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, excuse me, don't collect treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, neither moth nor rust destroys, destroys where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's talking about possessions. I love what the psalmist said. He said, if wealth increases, pay no attention to it because it's not gonna change your life for the better. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David, as he was celebrating God's provision for the children of Israel, makes some statements about, about God's provision. I just want us to look at those. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11. David's prayer in this dedication time. He says, Lord, yours, Lord, is great, the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand. It is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, look at verse 14. This is the key. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? They're bringing an offering to the Lord. Who are we? Who are your people? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. God owns it all. It's his. David's reminding the people and reminding himself, God, everything that I have is a gift from you. And even the the, the opportunity to give back to you, God, it comes from you because of what you've done. Understanding possessions. In Proverbs chapter 30, the the writer of Proverbs says this, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Isn't that good? That's a good prayer. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Here's what the the writer of Proverbs is saying. God, don't don't give me too much, don't give me too little, just enough. Isn't that where Paul's living? Uh, You've given me, I'm in prison, things are going bad, but you know what, I've got just enough. God, thank you for enough. I'm content with these possessions you've given me. There are roughly 200 plus countries in the world. If you take the gross national product of those countries, Americans spend more on trash bags than almost half of those countries, gross national product. We throw away more than they produce. We throw away more because we spend more on the trash bags to throw it away. Does does that not put things in perspective with our possessions? Lynn Dillow said it this way, that to which we long for becomes something to which we belong to. So here's a question. Think about your possessions, whatever you have, what's your prize? If that possession was stolen, destroyed, or lost tomorrow, would I miss it to the extent that it would alter my relationship with God or my sense of contentment in who I am? Some of us got to answer that question 11 months ago, right? When we lost some things that were precious to us and we had to ask, okay, is this going to change my relationship with God? Is this going to alter my, my sense of contentment? Whatever it is, if you put anything in there, you've got a heart problem. If you're clinging to something so much 
that if you lost it, you lose your faith in God. You're clinging to it too much. Our place, be content. Our possessions, be content. Thirdly, be content with our personhood. Be content with our personhood. That may be a word you're not familiar with. It just means who you are, okay? Who you've been created to be. Paul was content with who he was. Let me tell you. We read earlier as Paul talked about um, his life before Christ and being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and the tribe of Benjamin and, and, a, and a, a, a Pharisee beyond reproach. How he had all that stuff and he discovered when he came to know Christ that all of that stuff wasn't important anymore. And he discovered that his, his security, his identity was in Christ. Where's your identity? Is it in Coastal Oaks Church? Is it in being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Catholic? Is it in being a, a part of a certain family? I believe it's in our identity should be in who we are in Christ. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. In verse 4, this, this addresses our personhood. I believe Paul lived here. He knew it. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It's, it is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. The, the, the psalmist is saying, I, God can't even get my head around this. Too lofty for me. Unable to reach it. Look at verse 11. I mean, verse 13. For it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Can I paraphrase that? God created you the way he wanted to create you with a special purpose and a special plan and you're unique you are fearfully this translation fearfully and wonderfully made can you be content in that so many of us are are displeased with our personal appearance the way God made us People who are tall wish they weren't so tall. People who are short wish they were taller. People who are skinny wish they had some more meat on their bones. People who are overweight wish they were skinny. People with curly hair wish they had straighter. And on and on and on and on and on. It's the looking at the, the grass on the other side of the fence, not being content with how God made us. George McDonald said this. He was C.S. Lewis's mentor. He said, I would rather, and I think this is in, in, in thinking about this Psalm 139, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I would think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God in the dearest, grandest, and most, it's the most dearest, grandest, and precious thing in all thinking. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, no matter how I could picture the best me, God already pictured me the way he wanted me. And there's nothing grander than that. The color of my hair the shape of my nose. I remember in high school and somebody told me, you got a big nose. It took me all the way to high school before I even noticed that. I went and looked in the mirror. I said, man, she's right. <laughs> I, am, I am created and made and shaped the way God wanted me to be. Listen, it pleases God, the creator, 
when you accept who you are, when you accept your personhood, when you accept your physical attributes, your, your emotional attributes, Think about your life as a piece of artwork and, and uh, your life is the frame, who, who you've been created. And, and then in the canvas there is where God is at work. Those circumstances of your life that you are to be content in and you cooperate with him and you have this incredible piece of artwork. Remember Romans chapter 8, that God is, is working all things for the good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, that we could be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son. Listen, our tendency is to, to focus on those external things. And remember, the, the Bible says in First uh, or Second Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks where? The heart. Maybe this is for you today. Maybe you're struggling with the way God has made you. I've wrestled with that over the years, physically, the way God made me, and finally settled that, and then got to a place in my life where I, I started to learn more about my identity and my, my personality traits and going through the Myers-Briggs temperament analysis, some other temperament, analysis, temperament analyses, analyses. What's the plural analysis? Analysi? Anyway. <laughs> going through all of those temperament tests, and I discovered what my temperament was, and I didn't like it. I can remember sitting in a seminar, and, and I'm an ISFJ, which is an introvert sensing, feeling, judging. And the feeler part, I, I, I remember I was right on the borderline in the test results between a feeler and a thinker. And I was right over there on the thinker line, and, so I, and, the, and the guy leading the seminar said, Kevin, just stop. You are a feeler. You want to be a thinker, but you're not. You're a feeler. I said, man, I want to be that. I want to be the person who thinks about stuff and doesn't care what anybody else thinks. That's what I wanted. And I struggled with that and struggled with that. And finally, I said, you know what, God? Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew me before I was born. He created me with this temperament. It's okay. And I made a sign, and I put it on the wall in my study, and Harvey took it. I might need to make another one. But it said, my temperament is a gift from God. It's okay to be this temperament. I had to accept the way God had wired me as a person. Maybe that's where you need to land today with your personhood. Be content in that. Next, are you ready? Save the best for last. To be content with God's plans and God's purposes. To be content with God's plans and God's purposes. As I read through Paul's testimony again of everything he'd gone through, I thought, man, can he add another word to dangers? Dangers in this, dangers in that. Can he add another word? Another life experience is so terrible. And he's writing to the church at Philippi from a prison cell, chained to a guard. His dreams and visions and goals for his life have been totally changed. He wanted to go to Rome to share the gospel, but not that way. And he's content with God's plan for his life. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He, he said, go and bring this. God will bring this about in his own time. He is a blessed and, and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. J.B. Phillips translates that. He is the controller of all things. I like that. To be sovereign, to be God, to be creator means he is the controller of all things. Your life circumstances are being controlled by God. J.I. Packer said this, contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we know that he is good and therefore 
it is good. Contentment is a matter of receiving whatever comes from God's hand. You with me? Knowing that he is good, and because he is good, it is good. He's the perfect parent. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way, Every assignment is measured and controlled for my eternal good. For my eternal good. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, let this cup pass from me to his father. He was praying in the garden about to go to the cross. What he's saying is let this this portion that's been given to me, this cup, let this pass from me. But then you know what the very next thing he prayed was, right? Nevertheless, not what? My will, but your will. Jesus is saying, "I, I want the plans and purposes of my Father to be fulfilled in my life, whatever it takes, whatever the need. I'm willing to say, not my will, but your will. Contentment is accepting God's perfect plan for your life over all your circumstances. Remember the TV show, Father Knows Best? (laughs) He always had the right answers. Father knows best. Father knows best. I've shared this before. I had a a friend. She walked down the aisle on a Sunday morning worship service, and she said, "This was when I was in a single, when I was still single before I married Kelly." Walked. She was in our singles group, and she walked down the aisle, and she told the pastor, "She said, God's called me to be a missionary." And he said, "Very good. Are you being a missionary right now, where you are?" And she turned around and went right back to her seat. Because God right there spoke to her and said, you're, you're wanting to do it overseas. You need to do it right here. She went back to her seat. She shared that story with us. And we prayed for her. And she began to share Christ with her circle of friends. She read her, led her roommate to Christ, led her roommate's boyfriend to Christ, led some other people in, in, the, in the circle of influence with those families to Christ. And for a year did nothing but minister to people and serve. About a year later, she walked the aisle and said, God still called me to be a missionary. And yes, I've been a missionary right here. See, we have this sense that if I can just take God's plan and purpose and put it over there, it'll be better. God, I would sure be better over there than right here. I would sure be better in that situation. God, could you rearrange your plan for me because this looks better than what I see you giving me? You never said that, did you? You would never say that. We, we live that way, though, don't we? God, this is the way I think it should be ordained. I wonder if you're like that young single girl who is waiting to get somewhere else for God to use her, and God is saying, I've got you right where I want you. Right where your coworkers are, they need Christ. Live it there, share him with them. Right with your classmates, where you are, be salt and light right here where you are. Be content that God's plan and purpose has you there for that reason. And trust him. Trust him. There's a story of two monks. They each planted a tree. And one monk said, Lord, my tree needs some rain. Would you send some rain? God sent some rain. They said a little bit later, 
days went, Lord, my, I think my tree needs some sunshine. Give us some sunshine. God gave us some sunshine. A little bit later, Lord, I think my tree needs a little cloud cover. Give us some cloud cover and did. And then a little bit later, Lord, I think the tree needs just some cooler weather. And anyway, he was just every week or so praying like that. And eventually the tree died. And he went to his other buddy monk whose tree was flourishing. He said, I don't get it, man. I've been praying for all these things and my tree died. And he said, what did you pray? He said, well, when I got the tree, I just prayed, God, you created this tree. You know exactly what it needs. Take care of it. Well, I, I read that story and I thought, that, that, that's me. God, here's, here's what I need you to do. And, God, and I just need to step back and say, God, you created me. You know exactly what I need. If I need a hurricane, you'll bring it. Am I content with my role right here, this, this, where God has placed me, with my possessions, with my personhood, with who I am, with God's plan and purpose? Let me just close with my personal testimony. A lot of you have heard this. Some of you haven't. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. Got an opportunity to go to Houston several times on business trips. And my first trip there, well, really my first trip to Houston was as a little boy, and we got in a car wreck in the Houston traffic, and I said, I hate this place. On the Gulf Freeway back in 1960-something, I don't want to live there. Then I grew up and became a man and had several business trips to Houston, and the one trip there, it rained the whole time I was there for like, I was like 10 days straight. I thought, I'm never going to live here. And then I went back for another trip, and it was hot and humid, and it, the traffic, and I said, I will never live in Houston, Texas. Guess what? God arranged the circumstances of my life for me to move to Houston, Texas. And on the way down there, my car was parked at a Motel 6 and had all my worldly possessions in there. You know, the stuff that's valuable to a 20-something-year-old, my TV and my stereo. And those got stolen out of my car. And so I ended up in this big city that I hated. I really didn't want to be there. I was miserable. The traffic made me miserable. The the neighborhood I lived in, I was miserable. Every single day, I hated that place. And I finally came to the conclusion after a couple of weeks, I'm out of this. I'm out of here. And I drafted a letter uh, of resignation. I was ready to give my two weeks notice to my boss. I, I drafted a 30 days notice letter to my, my apartment complex. I figured I'll just eat the rent. I don't care. I want to get out of here. And somewhere in the process of me drafting those two documents and deciding I was going to go, I was on my way home from work one day, and I was just worshiping some praise and worship song on the radio, the, one of the very first praise and worship radio stations ever in, in Houston. And God just got a hold of my heart, and, and in essence said, Kevin, I didn't hear his voice, but I, was, I think I may have been whining about how miserable I was, you know? Wah, 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 Right? And I, I sense him saying, Kevin, what if this is where I want you? Man, whew. I don't want to go there, God. You ever get there? I really don't want to go there and answer that question. It would not go away. I was weeping so hard, I could not see the road. I was on Memorial Drive. I pulled off the side of the road, and I just wept. And I knew God was saying, Kevin, you need to be okay with living in Houston, Texas. Ugh. Man, I fought it all the way home. I got on my knees in my apartment, and I wept some more, and I said, God, if this is where you want me, oh, I'm okay with it. And I stood up, and something was different. 
And I got in my car and I drove back to work and the traffic was not near as bad. The city didn't seem so oppressive to me anymore. The, the work environment wasn't as bad. Everything about my experience there, the city was different. Now, was the city different? Or was my heart different? Well, I don't know. I, I, this has been a tough passage for me to work through again and relive some of these life experiences. But let me tell you, that's what God wants from all of us to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Maybe some of you this morning just need to say, God, I'm going to be okay with where I am physically in this place. Maybe you're looking to get out. I'm going to be okay in this relationship, in my marriage, with my kids, with my, my job. God, if this is where you want me, I'm okay with that. Use me. Let's pray.